This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, today, King Charles begins a state visit to Germany. He was due to visit France, also on a state visit on Sunday, but the trouble in France on the streets and the dangers involved meant that was cancelled. So it is Germany who gets to see King Charles for the first time in a state visit. It may be indicative that he chose to go to France and Germany for his first important foreign trips, but we'll find out about that in a moment. Germany, of course, the most powerful country in Europe, now being governed by a coalition after 16 years in which Angela Merkel ran the country and indeed was the most important figure, political figure in Europe. We're joined now by John Kampfner, who's an author and a journalist. He is writing a book about Berlin, which will be released later this year. He's an acclaimed author among his best books, Why the Germans Do It Better, Notes from a Grown-Up Country, which was acclaimed and sold very well. John, you're very welcome to the stand. That point I was making about King Charles and his decision, if it was his decision, to visit France and Germany first for the state visit. Is there any significance in that in terms of the divide in Britain between Brexiteers and people who are much more well disposed towards Europe? Hi there, Eamon, and greetings from Berlin. The In normal times, in a normal Britain, a monarch or a prime minister going to Paris and Berlin would just be considered completely normal. It's what you do, it's what you did. They're the two closest countries by geography and putting to one side for a second relations with the United States. You know, also uh, culturally, politically, and everything else. But of course, given Brexit, and not just Brexit, but how terribly fractured the British government deliberately made relations become, then it does send a message. And he obviously, he's a more small p political monarch than the Queen would ever have been, although she did make interventions ever so subtly from time to time. But at the same time, he would not have come here or wanted to come to France, that was being postponed because of the uh, situation in France, had it not received the, the the approval of the prime minister and the government of the day. 
And I think that's the, the really key point of this, yes. that Rishi Sunak is trying to both keep his Brexiteers on board by doing hardline stuff on migrants and all kinds of other things, while at the same time really quite clearly and doggedly trying to improve relations with France, with Germany, and with Europe generally. I mean, it's still, we're right at the foothills. I mean, relations were so terrible that any improvement is discernible, but we're miles away from where we used to be. Yes, and his endeavours in relation to Northern Ireland and that protocol that's so troublesome, they haven't really worked on the DUP. So the, the Northern Ireland problem still exists. It's also worth pointing out, isn't it, John, that Sunak, whilst appearing to be a much more civilised and organised person than some of your recent prime ministers, he was a Brexiteer, and quite an ardent one. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why you shouldn't, uh, people, you know, Remainers or whatever you want to call them now, just sort of people who would like to get on with Europe, shouldn't get ahead of themselves. Yeah, uh, People need to be pretty sober about all of this. I mean, you know, British politics has for a long time been completely crazy. Um, Liz Truss, she of the famous 45-day <laughs> reign, was a Remainer. And then she went yes. completely doolally in so many different ways. Sunak, by contrast, was a lever. But he is, I mean, he just, what, what all countries want, you can't choose another country's leader, you cannot choose another country's politics. But what you can request and require of another country is to be reliable, consistent, and trustworthy. And those are attributes that were not liberally yes. showered on Boris Johnson. And Liz Truss didn't hang around long enough, but it would have been exactly the same, if not worse, with her. And so the fact that Sunak is just trying to drive a reasonably reliable straight line through European relations to, to get them better. And you're right on the DUP, he absolutely uh, hasn't brought them on board, but he would have known that he probably never would have done by going yes. down this route. And the same goes for the more extreme, significant, but not to be exaggerated, um, ERG group in the Tory party. So he made a conscious choice. He prioritized by saying, we've got to get this show back on the road in terms of uh, improving relations with the EU. They could have sorted the protocol in an afternoon any day over the last year or so. Yes. It was deliberately not solved. And the fact that he has chosen to do that while incurring a little bit, not much, of collateral damage is a deliberate statement of priorities. Now, the King's visit to Germany is significant, of course. It is a three-party coalition that followed from the Merkel era. It comprises of the Social Democrats, where Olaf Scholz, the Chancellor, is from, the Greens and the Free Democrats. And one understands that all is not well in that coalition, and their strains beginning to show, according to reports that I've read, uh, reliable reports in, in uh, the Financial Times at the weekend. Germany is such an important country for all kinds of reasons, and particularly now with the strains that are, caused, are being caused in Europe by the problems in Ukraine. 
how bad are these strains? How dangerous are they to this coalition? And it's hanging together. Well, first, it needs to be said that Germany has not had the problems that Britain has had, which we've just talked about. And yeah. it does not have the problems that France currently has. People are not taking to the streets. There was a strike on Monday, a pretty big strike, actually. Um, all the railways, all the uh, suburban railways, the airports. Um, it, it wasn't a general strike, but it was a pretty comprehensive strike on Monday. And that's an interesting... Germans don't tend to strike that much. They've been nothing like as much as the French or the, or the Brits recently. So there have been... Um, so over the weekend, the three coalition parties locked themselves into a darkened room and uh, had pretty fractious discussions lasting 30 hours. Three zero went on and on yes. and on. That's not uncommon in Germany. That's the way they do things. But all accounts, as the ones that you read and other ones, were that it was not a happy meeting. And they'd only actually ended, they only came to agreement when Schultz had to remind them that he had an official visit to the Netherlands on Monday afternoon. And he just had to go. He couldn't hang around. And so they just had to agree. And so they have agreed. I mean, the contents are around how much to pay for, a lot of it is around the Greens agenda for renewable and for uh, phasing out of certain fossil fuels. The Liberal Party, the other smaller party, the smallest of the three parties, who have the finance minister who doesn't want to spend any more money and who's also much more into individual freedoms and less into the green agenda. That's where the, the, the big argument was between those two smaller parties. Um, Schultz from the Social Democrats, the main party, the chancellor, sided a bit more with the Liberals than with the Greens, which is not great for environment. It's not going to, this coalition is not on the verge of collapsing. Um, it's applied some sticking plaster. I think the Greens have come out of this a bit worse, which isn't great. Um, but it's, it's certainly not a happy ship at the moment. And, you know, I would just sort of do a sort of yellow light to say, you know, we need to keep on, on watching how things are going. It's not impossible that the Greens might walk out at some point, but I think we're still quite a long way from that. Now, John, Putin's invasion of Ukraine has been difficult for Germany to find a response. I note this week that they have sent, finally, some Leopard 2 tanks, but one feels it was reluctant to get involved in that way, in any way, but they have done. How difficult is it? Leaving aside the difficulties you spoke about that put them in a darkened room for 30 hours, how difficult for Germany is the crisis that Putin has caused for Europe and indeed for the United States ultimately because they're being asked questions they haven't had to answer for a very, very long time? Yeah, I mean, they have sent these tanks. And, and it's funny, German diplomats complain all the time that they are not getting a fair crack of the whip, that what they do send, they're not really, it's not really being appreciated. And that Germany is somehow being unfairly treated in the world's media for its approach to Ukraine. The, the point they always make is look at the facts and not at the rhetoric, mm -hmm. to which my response and the response of others is, yeah, but you can turn that around if you want. You can just tell people more. You can be louder and prouder 
um, of what you're doing, to which the counter response is, yeah, I know, but, you know, Germany's sending tanks and, you know, into yes. Ukraine of all places, how terrible that looks, blah, blah, blah. So they've got themselves in this negative feedback loop, um, which I can't see how they're going to get out of. They Schultz, and it's compounded by Schultz's character, um, and you can call him uncharisma central. He is absolutely, he goes out of his way not to ever explain himself, to endear himself to people. He sort of sees politics as sort of grinding out results, which is fine when you do ground them out, but it doesn't win you enormous amounts of friends. So you've got this fear of public opinion, both domestic and global, and you've got Schultz's unwillingness to explain himself, which does nothing for Germany's reputation. But the actual results are not that bad. But then you can argue, yeah, but being not that bad isn't mm. good enough. You know, Germany should always be, and it should, or at least now, from now on, it should consider itself the leader in Europe, and it should lead from the front. Yes, and the problem, I suppose, John, is nobody in Europe, well, many of the European countries don't know where they want to be led to, if anywhere. Could you explain to us, there is no unanimity about Putin and Ukraine in Europe, if you look closely enough, and you can see places such as, well, Hungary, although there's been a recent pivot this week, but the difference between, say, Hungary and Poland even, who are very, very bullish. Nobody's sure about Maloney, the Italian, new Italian prime minister, although she's hardened her stance. Yeah, she has. Yeah. Very significantly, because she was very well disposed towards Putin. This is a very trying moment for all nations in Europe, but perhaps for Germany more than the others, because where there was Angela Merkel is now a diffident leader who is not going to really lead. You can look at this half empty or half full, Eamon. I mean, the half empty is the way you've just presented it um, for me to respond to. The half full one is just over a year on, everybody assumed Putin would walk into Ukraine, would capture Kiev within two weeks. Yes. The Europeans and the Americans would roll over. Uh, the Ukrainians would roll over, and that would be the end of the story. The fact that that hasn't happened is is due in very, very large part to the Ukrainians' amazing determination and resistance. It's also due in very large part to the, the one person who is most underestimated and underappreciated in all of that, and that's Joe Biden. Yes, he has yeah, been absolutely. staunchly um, supportive of Ukraine, again, in an environment that's not entirely propitious, American public opinion. You know, a lot of the Trump far right and right is either sympathetic to Putin or wants America first and not to be involved in Europe and uh, problems in far-flung places. So it has not been that easy for Biden. He's done incredibly well. But Europe has also done pretty well as well. You know, yes, there's been Hungary has has held out. Some countries have given far less than others. Um, the, uh, the, the UK, and it always pains me to say it because it was Boris Johnson, um, yes. was very staunchly um, uh, supportive. And the, first. And, yeah, absolutely. And the Baltics have been 
The fact that Sweden and Finland immediately applied to join NATO was extraordinary, and the Poles. So there's a sort of northeast arc, a sort of semicircle that has been particularly strong. But Europe as a whole, and the European Commission and the European External Service, um, working with NATO has been uh, pretty darn strong. Everybody talks all the time about, well, the public won't put up with it. Uh, everybody talked very darkly about power shortages this past winter and how there would be protests on the street about let's stop supporting Ukraine, let's help our old, our own old people. You know, they've happened in a very small way, but n- not in any significant way. Europe got through this winter reasonably comfortably. There's always next winter ahead. But every time we think it's going to break, it doesn't break, which doesn't mean it won't eventually break. But it is pretty good that it has held this far and shows signs through the spring and summer of continuing to hold. I mean, the bigger issue is that Putin seems pretty much now locked into a never-ending war. He'll yes. drag out. You know, his his young men, soldiers, conscripts, a cannon fire. He doesn't care um, a jot about how many die. And he is seemingly under... Uh, so, you know, such as the uh, level of the dictatorship, under no domestic uh, risk whatsoever. So he's just going to grind this out, not just for months, but for years, in the assumption that something will give in Europe, uh, yes. which, it, which it may do, but it hasn't yet. No, what might happen is DeSantis is elected in 2024 as president of the United States. Mm, and he- absolutely. And he decides to put into action his policy, saying that this is a territorial dispute that has nothing to do with well, us. I, 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 dared to, I dared to think a few months ago that Trump was over, he was shot, you know. Uh, it yes. Was, I'm not so optimistic now. <laughs> no, I, I, we'll see. That is a particular drama mm. that will resolve itself. If, if Biden, and you're absolutely right about Biden, his ability to galvanize the NATO alliance again, and indeed Europe has been outstanding when you consider what he has to deal with in his domestic politics. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Can I ask you about the mood of the German people and their relationship with Schultz and this coalition? Their attitude to what's happening with Putin. Because as you say, there doesn't appear to be a way Putin can survive and make peace. I mean, it's it's a combination. When you think of what's happening in Germany now, part of me thinks, well, actually, it's very incremental, as is often the case with Germany. It, it sort of lacks flourishes, and it's a bit sort of dull and steady. But the other way of looking at it is it's actually incredibly dramatic what has happened. Um, Schultz and his Zeitung vendor, his change of era speech just over a year ago, the end of February 2022, was extraordinary. He was then criticized. Can you briefly explain to us what he said and what was so significant about that speech? It was a Sunday morning, three days after Putin had invaded. He, Schultz did what Schultz never does. He just went out on a limb. He uh, only consulted or informed his coalition partners hours before he um, he gave the uh, his speech, and in that he basically said, "Everything has changed. Germany has changed. Um, we need to understand uh, what has happened here. Um, that Russia is the adversary, and that Germany is incapable of defending itself, and let uh, less still." helping others because we have allowed our armed forces to degrade. Therefore, I am assigning 100 billion euros over the next few years to transform our armed forces. We need to do that, but we also need to transform our mindset. Uh, And we need to finally get uh, spending on defense above the NATO requirement agreed at a Cardiff summit several years back, I think it was 2014, um, of 2% of GDP on defense, which Je- Germany has been a terrible laggard um, on, as have other countries, but Germany in particular. So, dear folks, everything is going to change. And How was that speech received by the German public and indeed by the commentariat? Ex- at the time, extraordinarily well. Um, his opinion poll ratings shot up uh, a great sense of you know, uh, we've got to do something, we need to change, not not universally, but but um, it, then he just started gradually, gradually to going back into his shell, slightly rowing back, always saying yes, but or no, but all the time. 
which is his default. And it's the way he has been. And so therefore, all the things we were just talking about, about yes. feeling that their support has not been appreciated, stem from that sense of he had raised expectations incredibly high and had not uh, met them. Uh, but still, things have changed. The discourse here has has changed. You will still find Germans. I mean, I've always said that the Germans uh, dealing with their history, dealing with the Second World War legacy, what they call Vergangenheitsbewältigung, which means coming to terms with or overcoming your history. Yes, which didn't start in 1945. It, it, it took awesome. a couple of, of decades to start, but then absolutely you know, powered ahead. And it's, it is remarkable wherever you go, just the, the extent of the, um, not just remorse, but the learning from what had happened and, and the laying down of different foundations. But one of the wrongful learnings of it has always been when they say never again, what they mean is never again war, to which yes. the response of others is no, actually. War is, of course, a terrible thing. People die. And, you know, things like the Iraq war were a disaster and Germany didn't take part and felt very vindicated for that. But it is not never again war. It's never again dictatorship or it's never yes. again evil. And sometimes you have to fight. And Germans basically thought, particularly when unification happened, you know, the Soviet Union dissolved, that, you know, we've ended wars, folks. That's it. There are no more wars. Why do you need to spend so much money on the armed forces? Why do you need to commit troops? Because, you know, uh, you, you know, humanity has progressed to such a stage. Now, of course, that was naive. They weren't the only ones. The end of history theory of Francis Fukuyama in the early 1990s, it was a popular theory at the time. Yes, it was. But they deliberately let their armed forces run down. And uh, they also made themselves bizarrely dependent on the three, well, two superpowers and Russia. They became dependent on Russia for, for oil and gas. They became dependent on China for trade, and forty percent, some forty percent of revenues for the German car industry come from one country, and that's China. And they became dependent on the United States and others for their defence. So they outsourced so many of the big uh, decisions and actions to others, and that's really the big challenge for them now. Uh, there are a lot of people who still argue the old ways, um, and this is also, and there's also quite an ingrained, as there is in France, an, uh, anti-Americanism, um, and there's that sense of, oh, can't we just go back to the way it was? But among a lot of people, particularly younger people, there is a sense of, you know, this is a, a tough, nasty world, and we've got to toughen up. Um, but it's 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 a very live debate. Just a final question uh, to ask you, John. Anybody looking at American politics can see the trend towards isolationism. It isn't just DeSantis or, well, we don't know what Trump would do, but it's overwhelmingly the mood or the, the new mood, shall we say. Mm. They've lost too much, too many people. Blood and treasure, they call it, in Afghanistan in Iraq, before that even, they go back to Vietnam. But they have not, as a nation, they seem to be not up for anymore saving the world and being the world's policemen. Absolutely. Have the Germans reflected on that? And does, does Europe 
the European Union need to reflect on that very, very pertinent fact. Absolutely. Now, um, there's two areas. There's one is Europe saving itself because Russia, the bear, um, which is pretty much a failed state in every respect except for its uh, military threat, is still there. And the Americans have made it abundantly clear. And I think Ukraine is only um, a temporary reprieve in this respect, that they've had enough of defending Europe. Yes. Um, you know, Europe is wealthy by any global standard. It is wealthy and it needs to look after itself. Um, now, that emphatically is, you know, the Americans are taking the lead on Ukraine. Um, but I would be surprised you know, well, we'll see. But, you know, the, uh, it wasn't just Trump. It was Obama before who talked about the pivot to Asia. But the real action is China. Yes. Uh, and the next flashpoint is obviously Taiwan. Um, but, and that is where the American interests and focus lies. And, and not without justification. Right. It's like, hey, they've told Europe to look after themselves. Whether Europe has a wider remit beyond its own continent is moot. Um, yes. You know, the Brits certainly think they do, and to a degree, NATO th thinks it does, and the French do in certain places. I don't think you're going to be seeing much public opinion in Germany for sort of sending uh, ships in any conflict with China over yeah. Taiwan or anything else like that. I think that the, the, re the more realistic question is it's time for Europe to step up in terms of defending itself. Okay, John. Well, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you very much indeed. That's John Kampfner, author and uh, journalist. And we're grateful to him, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.